You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums Podcast. I'm John and we have another World Cup throwback um, special a couple of days before um, the 2022 event gets um, underway. But we're going to go back in time again to, bizarrely, a World Cup that Scotland didn't qualify for. And um, it, little did we know back in 1994 it was going to be a thing for the norm because we'd only reached one tournament since then. Um, and to join me, I'm delighted by, to be joined again by Chris. Welcome back. Uh, again, I'm just looking yeah. for a throwback these days. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much the same. Um, but we do have a special guest to help us out again. And um, we thought for USA 94, we'll get someone who's written a bit about it. Um, he's written a book called USA 94, The World Cup That Changed the Game by Pitch Publishing. Um, Matt, Matt Evans, Matt, welcome along to Scottish Football Forms Podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. Um, um, before we get into the tournament itself, um, what made you want to write about this particular um, World Cup? Um, I'd say it was really just looking back to my youth, looking back to when I was sort of my formative years as a football fan, really. Um, I, I sort of remembered parts of Mexico 86 and Italian 90, but the summer 94, I was 13. Uh, and I was really sort of, I sort of had a bit of a wobble as a football fan. I started high school and, you know, I, I started going through the moody teenage years and I'd sort of fallen out of love with football in a way. Um, and then USA 94 come around and it really sort of reignited that spark in me as a football fan. And I think when um, when I wanted to write a book, obviously the topic is, is obviously very important because you're going to live and breathe it, you know, through the whole process. So it had to be something that, I held sort of quite close to my heart. So when I look back at my formative years of football fan, that really sort of stuck out. And I presumed someone would have beat me to it and only wrote about it, but nearly researched. No one seemed to have done anything on it. So I thought, um, yeah, it was meant to be. It was like it's a World Cup that everybody here likes to forget about because there was no home nations, which is almost unheard of. Yeah, I mean, when I was, when I was doing my initial research, I... I put things on social media, like, you know, anyone got any memories or insight or ever into the into the World Cup? And the amount of people that messaged me saying, oh, I don't even remember anything about it. You know, it was uh, the World Cup that passed me by because there's no home nations in it. But then they'd go on to reel off about 10 or 12 things that they remembered from the tournament. So I think certainly on, on our shores, it was maybe overlooked a bit due to the fact there were no home nations um you know we didn't get the usual um 24 7 coverage of you know how how england are going to have it all wrapped up and then are they going to be crying a few weeks later so um yeah i think it was it was overlooked in a way i think it's still a bit sort of um underappreciated even all these years later in, in certain quarters yeah yeah definitely um i, th- I mean you mentioned obviously that um, a lot of people uh, pass people by because of the lack of 
UK interest, as you say. Um, I think that I found that when I wrote about my sub my subject in Scotland at Year ninety two that a lot of people tended to forget it, and it's um, you know, it's I said this you were probably picked good subjects and uh, you know some of the feedback I think um, you've been looking um, been getting from what I've seen on social media has been very positive I mean you must be over and overwhelmed by you know what it's achieving I believe at one point it was number one in the Amazon football chart yeah that's I mean like when people said to me early on oh you know I don't remember much about that World Cup or it wasn't a very good World Cup you do start of you know maybe have a few doubts where you think oh maybe there is only me that <laughs> who, who really sort of enjoyed it, you know. But when you look at you know other countries like Sweden, Bulgaria, Romania, even the home, you know, the home nation, the host nation, you know, it was the memories that their fans have got, you know. So I think, uh, yeah, I've been really sort of I can't believe how well it's done. Really, um, I mean, only when you sort of go on social media, you realise there is such a a thirst for like nineties football nostalgia, certainly of um football fans of a of a certain age. Um, you know, the nineties football, you know, is massive whether it's from shirt collectors through to, you know, obviously everything's on YouTube now. Um I mean I was telling I was telling two of my my boys about me playing junior football in the in the nineties and they were saying, Oh, is it on YouTube? It's like, no, they 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 weren't they weren't filming like the, you know the D side junior league in uh, 1991 1992 season no um but yeah so i think we're having things like that at your fingertips um you know the nostalgia for that 90s football especially being on, on, on the likes of twitter etc you know i've sort of seen there is like a huge audience there yeah i think you go chris I was say, the, the, the thing i found going through the book was just how many stories there was I quite like the way you structure the book. Actually, it's it's not a chronological book. It's, it does focus on the stories of each of the, the kind of countries as they go through, and I like the way that is because it it kind of brought back so many memories for myself, like, like the Nigerian story and the, the, the Saudi Arabian one, and the unfortunate Colombian story, which is is, is still horrific to even think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, even even the, the host nation, like, I didn't realise their story started so far back. It's it's almost like ten years before when they they, they tried to replace uh, Colombia as a host for eighty six. Yeah, well, I think the natural the natural way to approach it would be doing it, you know, a day by day account of the of the tournament. But it was only when I sort of started doing my initial research, realise all these other stories that were going on. Whether it's like I said, the, the battle to become the, the the head of US soccer to get the tournament um to get the tournament on through to obviously what happened with Escobar and Colombia. Um even things like, you know, the, the OJ the OJ situation and, you know, Mar- Maradona's drug test and things like that. You know, there were so many stories going on off the pitch. And I thought, well, to to be able to do to do all these stories sort of justice really, I had to I had to sort of adapt and change how, you know, go away from maybe the more obvious um, way of styling it. Um, one difficult part of that was by doing it sort of by nation, I had to cover the same games twice, which was a, a challenge. You know, like for instance, Ireland v Italy, I had to write about it in the Ireland chapter and then obviously it had to be covered in the Italy chapter. So it's finding that sort of balance between, you know, not, not going not labouring the point too much in one chapter if you're going to do the same in another. So um, I've had quite a lot of good feedback about how it was how I set it out though. So yes, I'm, I'm pleased I did. I did sort of go down that road. 
Yeah, I, I can only echo what Chris has um, been saying. Um, I'm, I've only got I'm on to chapter fifteen out of the seventeen that's there, so um, that's how much I've enjoyed it this week. But um, it's been a fascinating read, and as you know, Chris touched upon, um, you know the the story behind USA getting the World Cup's interesting, and I didn't actually realise how close it possible was to them having that taken off in the same way as Colombia did. Um, but and. You know, it was the intervention of Alan Rothenberg, who you've also spoken to in the book, that seemed to um, tie, uh, you know, tip the balance and um, get making sure it stayed in America. And thank goodness, because um, not only did they get a good World Cup out of it, but you've um, got a great interview out of it for the book. Yeah, I mean, you see how sort of you think of the USA as you know the you know capital capitalism, you know it, it rules in the USA, and you think everything's so like. There's all these huge corporations and everything sort of organised to the nth degree. But, you know, when USA got given the World Cup, you know, it was being run by a group of volunteers. You know, these were just, it was just an amateur group of guys who just love football. Um, and their passion got them the the bid. But then it was obviously a case of, right, we now need to sell tickets. We now need to get TV networks on board. We now need to get some of the, like, the world's biggest corporations involved as sponsors, you know, and, I think it's sort of the, the whole project has sort of outgrown the people that were running it. And, you know, FIFA spoke to Alan Rothenberg, who they'd been impressed by from running the, the football side of things at the LA Olympics in 84 and realised that he could, you know, he was the man that could get the show on the road. So it was all like the internal wranglings, the internal politics that had to go on before, you know, the ball was even kicked. And, you know, that was only... I only realised things like that from doing, you know, doing my early research. And you think, oh, this is this whole this whole thing is probably a book on its own, right? You know, you could probably do a, a book or, or a Netflix series on the internal wranglings at US soccer in that time, you know. So, um, yeah, Germany were waiting in the wings; they were ready to to take it off their hands. Um, obviously, the US had their advantages to having the huge stadiums all across the country. You know, they didn't have to didn't have to build any stadiums; they just you know, they originally were going to use college football stadiums, which are, you know, probably bigger than most uh, top European football team stadiums. Um, and yeah, when when they put it up to tender for for the cities that wanted to host games, you know, they were sort of the organisers felt there was going to be a bit of you know plenty of interest, but they were actually blown away by the amount of cities that wanted to get involved. You know, so when people say, "Oh, the US don't really know much about football," well, you know, I think they knew enough. To know that the World Cup, you know, it's, it's it's big, it's big business. You know, you want to get involved with it if you can. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, since then, they've had the creation of their own um, um, national league as well, the MLS. I know they had a couple of failed attempts before, but this really gave them the kick to, um, you know, properly have their own own league, and that's the legacy, I suppose, of um, USA '94 as well. And um, before we start going into talking about the tournament itself. Um, we also mentioned one of your interviews with Alan Rothenberg, but you also interviewed people like Thomas Chevelli, um, you know, Andrew Scarsicut, or Brian Roy. In, um, you know, just uh, how how was it getting um, those guys to say, "Yeah, I'm happy to tell the story." Well, I think um, when I when I was initially planning the the book and the, the pitch went into the publishers, it was sort of January February 2020. So I got the green light to start writing, and then by the time I'd done some early research. Like COVID hit, um, but for me writing the book, it was it was an absolute godsend because 
I'd reach out to people on on Twitter or you know Instagram or get hold of an email address from from someone of an ex player or or coach or some you know one of the executives and I'd drop my line and say you know you'd be interested in speaking to me you know 10 20 minute chat just you know about USA 94 and it was just yeah when do you want to do it today because a lot of these people were just sitting around with nothing to do because it was it was locked down you know, no, there was no, there was, there was not, they weren't doing anything. They were just twiddling their thumbs. Obviously, the golf courses were shut. Um, you know, they couldn't go on holiday. So they were just sort of sitting around. And you found that when you got talking to them about it, it you know, you couldn't stop them really. It's especially like the US guys, you know, it's such a, such a proud moment for the players, um, you know, to, to play in, in a home World Cup. It was sort of, uh, you know, when you got them going, you couldn't stop them really. It's just like a podcast with John Hughes. <laughs> was, he, was he good going? You couldn't stop for a while. But it was exactly the same thing. It was one of these interviews during the, the, the COVID lockdown time. So everybody was, was more than happy to talk to us for ages. Like it, was, it was almost a break of the, the normality that they'd found there, or the new normal, or whatever we're calling it back then. I had a couple of guys that worked for US Soccer, uh, Jim Trecker and Tom Meredith. They, they helped put the bid together. I speak to them and they'd, they'd be ringing me and, and emailing me like days and weeks later. I've, I found this. I've, I've been down in my basement and I've been sorting out through old paperwork and I found these pictures and I found this and I found that. And they were, it got them talking to people that they hadn't spoke to for 20 years. You know, they were speaking to them and, and, and reminiscing about stuff. So, yeah, you know, the, the COVID situation obviously was a difficult one for everyone. Um, I mean, I myself, I was still working, got kids here doing homeschooling and stuff um but yeah for, for, for the likes of the interviews and, and things like that for, for to speak to people it was an absolute godsend those first sort of two or three months i was speaking to someone like you know some cases like three people a week um so that, those first two or three months was a real sort of shot in the arm and give you sort of got the ball rolling with it and i think to get a lot of early sort of positive feedback through interviews it does sort of spare you on i think you know if you're struggling to get hold of people and you know you find you sort of you know treading treading water with it all a bit but to get that early um early positive feedback through the interviews was yeah really really good really sort of um give me some early momentum yeah, definitely. And um I say, um I can I don't know what the last two chapters are gonna be like, but I'm pretty sure they're pretty gonna be as good as the other fourteen that I've I've read. So um, I'm very impressed with them and I'm sure most people have been so well done in your project. Um yes. so moving on to well, before yes we'll only touch briefly on the um failures of the UK nation. So um the the low light of Scotland's campaign, this was Scotland said that obviously we're at United 2, came back with lots of prohibits, but it was a rotten campaign. We finished fourth in a 16 group and the the darkest, one of the darkest days in Scottish football history, Portugal 5, Scotland 0. Everything that could go wrong for Scotland went wrong. It was the beginning of the end for Andy Roxburgh. There was a big fallout with um, Richard Goff, a couple of players made last game and Ali McCoyst broke his leg that we'd not seen in a Scotland shirt for two and a half years. Yeah, it was a horrible campaign. That and the, that's that horrible five 0 game is one of the two memories I've got of that campaign. The other one being when Richard Gough jumped up and caught the ball against Switzerland. I mean, that was that was our first game, I think. Um, yeah. So that was it. Was just an awful deal, um, culminating in that Portugal game, which was just awful. I think I actually went to a couple of these games as well during the campaign because um, this is one of these campaigns we weren't at Hamden. 
Yeah. Um, so we were like, I think we played, did we play all of them at Ibrox? Because I we played the first three qualifiers. I the first three qualifiers at Ibrox plus a friendly against Germany, which I went to as part of the school, believe it or not. And then when it became apparent that it was unlikely we were going to qualify, they moved the last games against Estonia and Switzerland to Petodre because they knew we wouldn't get the crowds. I think we barely even half filled Ibrox for these other games, so they thought we'll move it to Petodre. Um, and after Switzerland game, Roxburgh resigned and then Craig Brown officially became, he, he took charge of, um, for the game against Italy um, as a caretaker basis and then got the manager's job permanently on this day in 1993, which was the final round of qualifying matches. Um, by this time, England were already out as well. Well, effectively out because they were playing San Marino, lost to go after 10 seconds, but let's be honest, their game with Holland done them and <laughs> You can say they were hard done by in some ways because Ronald Koeman should be sent off in this game for taking down David Platt and then to rub salt in the wound, he scores an absolute peach of a free kick, which was retaken, I may add. Yeah, it cost, uh, cost Graham Taylor his job, as, it, as, mm-hmm. the famous, uh, as he famously said in that uh, documentary. Um, I remember that, the last, that, that game against San Marino, Wales were playing Romania. Yeah, I remember everyone was everyone was kicking off in England because they, those that were watching England San Marino game, they actually turned it over to <laughs> turned it over to the Wales games. There was more sort of going on there, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like from from a Welsh standpoint, um, it was the end of an era, really. You know, the, the likes of Ian Rush and Mark Hughes and Dean Saunders. You know, you sort of felt that that was the the sort of last chance, really, of of, of that of that. Uh, era of player getting, you know, finally breaking Wales's, well, not duck, but you know, might as well have been. So they hadn't qualified since '58. You know, uh, it was yeah. I, I can still, I can still remember my dad's um, gasp of anguish when uh, Paul Bowden's penalty at the bar. Yeah, yeah. you good. had momentum at that point as well because it got to 1-1, Saunders had scored and when you got the penalty, you must have thought, right, here we go, USC 94 yeah. here I come and uh, it, yeah. you know, and you could probably still hear the sounds of that, but Barbie yeah, rattled at Cardiff Arms Park. It all, uh, it all capitulated after that. Yes, someone someone put a video on um, on Twitter the other day, and they put um, the sound of Bowden's penalty hitting the bar to um, Boy Monday by um, by New Order. It was quite well done, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I seen that actually. I seen that video earlier on today because yeah. it, it's the anniversary of it today. Yeah, um, I seen that of, one, and I seen the other one I saw was David Jarrell making the second most biggest mistake in his life. The first being not signing for Celtic, of course. But I, that that putting in that dreadful cross at the yeah. end of the game, only for end up in the back of the net at the other end. I mean, the the the, the last round of games all all around the world, there was loads of stuff going on. You know, like mm. Argentina had to go into a playoff. Um, you know, Brazil. You know. You, you couldn't even like imagine it. You know, Brazil walking shaky at qualifying at one point. You know, they had to bring uh, Romario back in. He fell out with the coach. You know, they had to sort of coax him back into the side. Um, Argentina obviously got thrashed by Colombia. They had to bring Maradona back in, and they only made it through through a playoff. Um, even even the likes of when Iran and North Korea and Iraq and South Korea, all these games all went to the wire. There was obviously the European qualifiers, like you said, with France. You know, they suffered heartbreak in the last game. There was obviously Wales and then obviously the two islands played each other, um, you know, in, in a bit of a fiery atmosphere. Um, you know, Northern Ireland wanted to be the the spoilers and, you know, Jack Charlton's boys had it all to sort of play for. So, yeah, there was, there was loads of these 
sort of interesting stories going on all across the world in the last sort of week week of qualifiers. Yeah, that Ireland one's interesting because um, they weren't allowed to take fans, I understand, from, um, to Northern Ireland because of the tensions that were on at that point. But also, yeah. Northern Ireland, they were both in a group with Spain and Denmark. And I think Ireland needed a draw and someone to win in the Spain game. And it was 10-man Spain that beat the then European champions. Um you know, by a goal to nil, and that swung it, and Al McLaughlin scored a cracking goal, um, God rest his soul. Um, Chris, you're obviously um, an Ireland fan as well as a Scotland fan, mainly Scotland, of course, but, you know, that must have cheered you up a wee bit that night. Yeah, get, well, give us some that support in the World Cup, I suppose, because <laughs> my other option is usually Poland, and Poland were in, like, even worse than England's group than England were. I think they took points off England in that tournament, uh, or that qualifying, but that was about as good as it got for Poland now. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly wasn't. People probably yeah. listening to this podcast wondering, um, where's the Scottish interest in this in this World Cup? Because, um, of course, we're Scottish Football Performance Podcast. So, um, just a reminder that um, there were three players, in, there were two players, so the, there were three players in the, in the Republic of Ireland squad who were based in Scotland. That was, um, so, Pat Bonner in, in the Tom Coin, plus there was Theo Snelders in the Dutch squad. There was also two um, Scottish-born um, Irish players, Owen Coyle, who's playing in England at the time for Bolton, and Ray Houghton, um, born in and with the referee, Les Mottram, which brings a huge snigger, yeah, because yeah. the immediate thing you think of is Partick Thistle versus Dundee United, and the goal that he doesn't give, and also not a penalty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he ends up a World Cup referee 18 months later. Matt, yeah. we showed you this earlier. Well, I actually tried to obviously do my research. I, I noticed there was a, a Scottish ref, um, so I, I tried to find him to you know speak to him, just get some insight into you know any of the games he refereed. But I couldn't seem to find him anywhere. Uh, people I was sort of reached out to could maybe have contact. No one, no one was able to um, to track him down. And obviously, I haven't, I haven't spoke to you guys earlier, and you showed me that clip. I can sort of understand why. Um, he'd, he'd go into hiding so I had to watch it two or three times just to get a, a, an idea of what was actually going on <laughs> you know it was like it, it, it should have been a goal but if it's not going to be a goal then it should definitely be a penalty and what did he give? Play on mm-hmm. <laughs> just wait play on it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> and to think that was obviously that was before the World Cup so you know obviously um, the powers that be at FIFA hadn't seen that clip they, they <laughs> deemed him um they deemed him the best, um, best the British Isles had to offer. So, so just think that there's going to be no Scottish refs in Qatar because they're not good enough. That's despite having Hugh Dallas and quite high up in uh, the echelons of refereeing. We can't send people to World Cup. We could then, and that's how bad they were then. So imagine how bad they are now. But how long? How long did he referee for after? Was he? Was he sort of? Still a good few years because um, yeah. he refereed at Euro '96 as well. And yeah. And to be fair, I mean, he did get like the Scottish Cup final um, and stuff. I mean, we had some decent referees then. I mean, he probably wasn't wasn't overall a bad referee. He's just known for that decision, which, yeah. to be fair, <laughs> you know, it's a pretty horrendous one. But yeah, yeah, he got two games at the World Cup. We get South Korea versus Bolivia, where he sent off a player, and Greece versus Nigeria. And I believe he um, actually um, ended up in Japan. Yeah, I was just looking at this. So he refereed in Scotland until 96, then went to the G League and was there until 2001. Sorry, 2002. <laughs> so he, he was there up until the World Cup in Japan. Right. He obviously um, 
he also put the World Cup on his CV, didn't he? And got him, probably got himself a decent, uh, yeah. decent payday over in the J League. But um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make a decision on the man as a referee based on one decision. But <laughs> yeah, like you said, it was, uh, you know, I suppose if you've got to make a mistake, might as well, you know, go as big as possible, might you? Absolutely, and he did get the Euro '86 semi-final between France and the Czech Republic, I believe, as well. So, no fair play to the man. Um, he also got over that decision over time. Um, whereas the, a current incumbent, they will make these decisions and then come back and keep making them. But that's another I'm issue. Sure, that I'm sure he gets reminded of it by um, by people quite often, though. I bet he probably make, um, does it. Speakers next nice and makes a yeah, fortune. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, but, he might as well, uh, mind yeah, good luck to him. Um, in the terms of you notice uh, in, the, in the qualification side of things, especially uh, in UEFA, just how sort of fluid things were in the early nineties. Because um, obviously Yugoslavia was still suspended um, because of the war. It was too early for the likes of Croatia. They didn't. They didn't get to uh, the six. I think it was the first thing they could qualify for. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the first World Cup we qualified was ninety eight, which they made. Um, the in the Welsh group there was the representation of Czechs and Slovaks because the Czech and Slovakia had split into two but still were in the group together so that was the last thing it was a kind of equivalent of CIS that we had to play at Euro 92 yeah they <laughs> so obviously that, reunified Germany as well uh, yeah, first, yeah, first World Cup of the, of the unified Germany yeah it was the sort of the last World Cup really of the like I said the, the likes of the Russia you know the Eastern Bloc was, was splintering obviously early 90s um and yeah, obviously by by the next World Cup, you know, a lot of other nations had sort of sort of sprouted up you know, all across Europe, you know, that were competing now. Yeah, because we still had, we, we didn't have everybody from the, the former Soviet Union, but we did have Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so it was a kind of, it was a transition period for that. that yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was. Countries. Uh, was sure in 96 when all that started to take off, um, as you mentioned, creation, the likes of... Um, um, Macedonia, I think, came in after that as well. Um, but yeah, that's a North story for another day. In terms of me- memorabilia, um, I was trying to think back to what memorabilia there was. The main one I remember is the wee McDonald's football, which had all the stadiums um, names in it. So it was also like another version of the Coca Cola one for Italian '90, and obviously the Panini albums. Um, would you guys remember? Yeah, I was going to mention the ball as well. It wasn't as good as the Italian '90 one, but no. <laughs> I think um, you know. That World Cup, if, if they could fit a logo on it, you know, it was it was going on it, and they were selling it. Um, yeah, I mean, I had, I remember, I remember having um, not just the stickers, but cards, trading cards, mm. um, and I hadn't sort of, I hadn't sort of seen them before. Um, it was always the sticker albums, but there was these trading cards throughout. Um, obviously, the kits. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I walked, I walked past. Um, I walked past a sports shop yesterday and I, I had a little look in and there was a you know there was hardly any football shirts in there. Now looking back to when I was a kid, you'd go into a sports shop, World Cup, you know, World Cup year, and it'd be floor to ceiling. Yeah. Pretty much every every team you could imagine was in a home and away, you know, you think it's just not there now. It's just not there. It's all down to contracts now. I mean, that's the thing that annoys me from a Scotland fan's perspective. You can only get a Scotland kit and JD Sports. It used to be you could get them in any sports shop. Yeah, um, Wales, Wales are the same. Yeah, yeah. I think every nation's the same. Um, what was your What was your favourite kits? Mine was the um, the USA denim with the with the yes. stars. I, I I had that. Um, mm-hmm. I adopted the USA as my team that summer. Um, I had that and a matching denim drill top. 
um, with you, it had USA on the back in red, in red letters. Um, yeah, that, I mean, there was, I don't think there was a bad kit in the tournament, even the, the sort of outlandish ones like the Saudi Arabia, which were only like, I think they were only like player issue. I don't think it was any like ever sold with the, you know, big sleeves down to their elbows. And, uh, yeah, I think you'd struggle, you'd struggle to find, to find a bad kit in that tournament. You know, you like Nigeria's, theirs was, you know, theirs was, Amazing. Yeah, that was my favourite one. The the Adi- the Adi- even the Adidas, the, the template kits, you know, like the Adidas ones with you know with the stripes coming up the coming up the sides. You know, I just think all the all the colours that all went great. You know, the Bulgaria, the Romania. But for mm-hmm. me, the, the standout was the USA. I'm hoping 2026 when they're hosting again, like co-hosting, that there's some sort of um, throwback to yeah. the stars and stripes kits. I think that would be uh, that would be a lovely touch. Yeah, the, the Mexican goalkeeper one as well. I remember as well. Yeah, that was just self, outlandishly bright. Self-designed. I that, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, George Campos, self-designed shirts. Mm-hmm. Imagine imagine when you open that and when that one desk. Oh, George just sent his kit designs in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think the, the USA Blue one and the um, Romania home one were probably my two um, standouts. I like the Sweden one as well. Um, but there was... There was there was barely a bad kit in there as you can um, imagine, um, and obviously we go into the tournament itself, and it kicks off in some fashion. Diana Ross, <laughs> you know, it just set the theme for the tournament. A bad, it starts with a bad penalty, and then obviously ended with a bad penalty. Yeah, but yeah, everything's in her favour. You know, the massive goals about four yards per goal, and she just <laughs> um, completely she was in heels though. In, in her defence, she was in yeah. heels. Um, you know, she may, maybe should have had some copper mondials on. She should have done um, it at Tobash. Tobash down the middle. Yeah, but I've said this to a few people. If you if you actually watch the watch it back again, there's so much encroachment from from the dancers and, and the backing band. <laughs> you know, retake. Really, maybe if Mister Mottram was there, he could have he could have uh, given a retake. He could have give a goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Diana Ross did. She just walked on and the goals collapsed. She, she, was at, she was at Glastonbury last year, wasn't she? Or the year before. Yeah. And it was like, oh, they should, they should reenact it on the stage. She gave her another chance, chance to redeem herself. But um, maybe maybe I was just that sort of engrossed in the USA 94 at, at that moment, right in the book. I thought, you know, they missed the trick here. They should have got the goal back out. Someone actually asked me. Someone actually asked me who was in goal, who was in goal for a penalty. Someone messaged me on Twitter. I was like, I'd like to think I did quite a lot of in-depth research, but you know, I didn't go that far <laughs> trying to track down the guy who was in goal. Like, you know, think that'd be a step too far. Yeah, probably some actor making his way um, trying to get noticed. That were probably not heard of again. Maybe he's doing Broadway or something these days. That. <laughs> Well, I think but, like with that with that tournament, like, I can't remember much of any other tournaments opening ceremony. You know, if you if you ask people about opening ceremonies of World Cups, you know, the only one people really mention is you know Diana Ross, which I think Oprah Winfrey was glad about because she, she MC and she she fell off the stage. Um, but I think obviously with Diana Ross's penalty miss, that sort of um, I think Oprah Oprah probably owed her a drink. Um, People were talking about that more, you know. Uh, there's a lot of world leaders in the crowd, like Bill Clinton was there, and you know all the all the great and good were there up in the up in the crowd. Um, but yeah, I think that's the <laughs> think of World Cup opening ceremonies. Nothing else really sort of springs to mind. Just uh, just Diana's penalty miss. 
I yeah. can't even remember France 98 and we were the game after it. <laughs> so <laughs> the chance we got. <laughs> exactly. I think most of them are pretty much the same. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, you're just Blanks. looking for that one. They're, they're not, Dancing. let's be honest, they're not London 2012 Olympic standard. No. Um, no. Or Barcelona uh, 92 with the guy with the archery. But, oh, yeah, I remember him, yeah. Yeah, that was. Um, I saw a documentary about that the other day. Actually, it was pretty cool. But we don't do an Olympics podcast, <laughs> but yeah, under the group stages, um, there was lots of drama. Um, it's difficult to put down where we start. Might as well start in Group A. So Colombia, as we mentioned, pumped Argentina five 0 got to position where they were labelled as favourites. They could not have had a worse World Cup. Beaten by Romania comfortably in the opening game. Beaten by USA in their second game. They also won a dead robber against uh, Switzerland, who'd pretty much already qualified. And then you had the tragedy that was Andres Escobar, who scored a, an unfortunate on goal, um, being shot dead back home. Yeah, I mean, the on goal itself, there wasn't, there wasn't anything to do about it. It was, he stretched to get it, and it's always difficult to get that angle right if you try and stretch to get it. It has to stretch for that. Otherwise, it's a goal anyway. So, I blame the goalkeeper for that. Aye. But obviously, not everybody blamed the goalkeeper for that. Mm-hmm. I know. But yeah, the um I mean Colombia, they, they come out of the, they come out of qualifiers like like you just said, then they were one of the you know, a lot of people's tips to certainly get to the semi-finals. Um but I think after that, the Colombian Football Federation sent them on money spinning tours. You know, they were they were the the hot, the hot name in world football. You know, they said, "Oh, there's going to be there's another force coming out of South America to rival Brazil and Argentina." So, they sent them on these money spinning um, tours, playing all these friendlies. And then, when you look at when they actually arrived in the US, they'd sold packages for fans to you could stay in the same hotel as the as the players and stuff. You know, think about it now; it's just absolute madness. Um, and then, you know, with what was going on in Colombia itself, obviously um, Pablo Escobar had died in December of 93. So there was, you know, there was a huge sort of power vacuum in, in Colombia. There was all the cartels. Yeah, were sort it of, was specifically Medellin because that's where Andres yeah. Escobar was from. So he went yeah, back yeah. to that power uh, vacuum. Yeah, and obviously all the other, the other cartels um, were trying to sort of, you know, sort of get in on the Medellin patch and stuff. So... I spoke to I spoke to Tim Vickery and you know he he said that you know Escobar didn't you know didn't die because of football you know he died because of basically what was going on in Colombia you know it was Colombia that it was Colombia that killed him not football you know it was it was a sort of basically just sort of what was going on a mirror of what was going on in the country as a whole you know and yeah. like you said from a pure footballing point of view. You know, he, he had to make a challenge. He had to go for the ball. You know, there's Ernie Stewart coming at the back post and he just tapped it in anyway. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was such a well-respected figure in Colombian football, um, you know, on the verge of signing for AC Milan. You know, and <laughs> AC Milan were pretty good at the time. Um, so, you know, for them to to, to, look to bring him in. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's I mean, obviously, all that went on while the tournament was still playing. You know, it was... He could have... He could have stayed on in in the states and done some TV work, but he wanted to go back to Colombia. You know, his parents were over there; they were traveling around the US. So he could have, you know, he could have stayed over there and, and gone back. You know, a few weeks later, maybe when things had died down a bit. But 
yeah, it's just, you know, it could have really sort of overshadowed the tournament. You know, obviously, you can't talk about USA 94 without without mentioning it. You know, it was just a terrible tragedy. And, you know, I don't think to this day we'd ever, ever really know what, what actually, you know, what really happened on that night. Yeah, it's, um, for, I mean, from what I was reading, um, he wanted to go, just go back and try and, you know, get back to normal, and that was his normal. Um, but unfortunately, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, um, poor bloke. Um, I think, for, for me, probably one of the big highlights of the group stages um, was the Eric Ronaldo free kick um, in that game at the Pontiac Silverdome. Because the previous day, it was the opening ceremony game with the German Republic game. It wasn't really much a game. That moment, I think, lifted off that tournament because, you know, it was the host nation. They were one behind in the game and it just gave... And they didn't have a great World Cup the time before, but that free kick was almost like lift off. Like it was if USA 94 is here and America's going to do something. It was just an outstanding free kick in that wonderful um, blue top. Yeah, there's always yeah. that feeling about if the host nation has a good World Cup, then the World Cup itself will be, a, be just a bigger scene. It was, I mean, like 2002 was the same. Well, Japan weren't exactly great. South Korea was a big story there. And there's questions around whether South Korea may have um, been uh, got further than they should have done, shall we say? Um, but there was still that atmosphere because of them. And I, I mean, that, my memories from that World Cup is of. The atmosphere they generated as a fans because it was like they were, it was so colourful with them. It was the same with this one. Like America just, as you said, that free kick with the equaliser, then going on to win the next game, it just took it off and it kind of the momentum carried on for that. So I think on on paper, the Switzerland game was probably their best chance at, at getting a win. You know, that was their first game as well, and to to come away with it with a point, you know, wasn't wasn't the end of the world, you know, like you just said then, I think the hosts have got to have a good tournament. Um, you know, as John touched on, they were abysmal in, in Italian 90. Um, and, you know, their aim was we've just got to get through the groups. So I think, you know, a point against Switzerland, I think they probably would have been disappointed with that. Cause like I said, on paper, that was probably their easiest match, you know. But, um, yeah, when Alder's free kick, you know, like the night before, you know, Boris Militinovic had took them down there and they shown them they put like a video on this on the video screen of, of footage of them in in um in training and stuff to try and sort of you know rouse the spirits and you know come on boys we can do this and Eric Ronaldo was taking free kicks and Borra wasn't too happy like you know no football tonight we're just here to you know have a little walk around and obviously don't want anyone to get injured but obviously it paid off the next day he had a he had a few sighters that night and it, it paid off he couldn't have you know he couldn't have put it anywhere better. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, and a man that was, um, you were hopeful was going to have another good tournament, alas, so and so, was Diego Maradona. Now he was back in shape and back on form, etc. Um, he set up a goal in the first game against Greece and then he scored that wonderful um, goal to make it um, 3 0 and the iconic celebration, which is now iconic for a different reason because, um, yeah, random drug test the next game. I wonder what brought that on. Yeah, I've, I've not seen anyone actually get escorted off the pitch by a nurse either uh, before or, or since to go for their go for their drug <laughs> test. But yeah, a random drug test, and he's always he's always going to be top of the list after um, after his celebration the previous game. But um, yeah, I mean Argentina had gone from you know I said struggling to qualify to suddenly they were sort of clicking into gear, you know, and Maradona had really sort of his him being back in the side had really sort of galvanised them. Um, and then obviously when it when he the, the, the news coming that he'd failed his drug test, you know, they, they just 
they just fell apart without him. You know, likes of um, Redondo was saying, you know, he said, I walked around and you weren't there. You know, they, they were that used to, you know, he's such a huge part of, of Argentinian football, you know, and still is. Um, I mean, we, we got a, we got a puppy. He's, he's just lying over there asleep. We got a puppy in July and I, I named him Diego. So, you know, he's, he's such a, he's such a iconic player. And yeah, it was just, uh, just a shame that he, you know, he had to end his World Cup story like that. But I think that just sort of summed his his life and career up, really ups and downs all the way all the way through to his uh, untimely death. But yeah, like, Peter, I hear you that. say that. <laughs> it was quite sad reading that chapter actually because he he had worked so hard in the build up yeah. to it to get back into the squad and get in that position and actually play and as you say score. Now I've always watched that footage and thought he's clearly off his. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he still to his dying day, you know, denied that he'd done anything wrong. You know, it's not as even as if he turned around in the end and went, yeah, okay. You know, because yeah, he lost, yeah. lost all that weight and got himself back into shape and stuff. You know, when obviously when when the news comes through what, you know, he'd failed a drug test. I mean, I don't even think what he'd, he'd tested positive for. I mean, it was like a, I think it was a cocktail of various things, you know, but it wasn't as if he'd just, you know, it was fat burners or anything like that, you know, um, it was one yeah. specific thing, and like you could get an inhaler depending on where you got it from. I think it was yeah. the actual thing that FIFA was on yeah. the band FIFA list, and that's yeah. what got well, it. I think he, you know, he, he'd been surrounded by uh, questionable people, you know, all the way through his career, really. You know, that it obviously had, had a lot of influence on him. So, again, you know, it's one of them stories you'll you, you'll never know what you know what what really happened. But yeah, it was a sad way for him to end his World Cup journey. You know, he'd, he'd mm-hmm. obviously yeah, Mexico '86 forever remembered as his World Cup. You know, um, so yeah, just a, just a shame for his for his World Cup journey to end. End on that note, I think this is the thing about this tournament is that a lot of big players that like Maradona uh, for that um, first couple of games was one of them. But a lot of big players really delivered in this stage. You know, Baggio, it took him time, but then once he got going, he was sensational. Stoichkov was outstanding. Haji was outstanding. Um, you know, trying to think of a couple of others who really Jurgen Klinsmann, Brolin. Um, <clears throat> no, there was a lot of big players that really delivered, and I think that's what helps make a World Cup is when the big players turn up. Like, for me, South Africa um, 2010 was a disaster for a lot of reasons, but one of them being there's a lot of big players like Messi and Ronaldo didn't show up. This World Cup, a lot of them did. Yeah, I mean, I think the only one that probably was what was expected from me didn't deliver was like Carlos Valderrama at Colombia. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, like Stoichkov, you had these iconic moments in the tournament. Obviously, Maradona with his goal and celebration. There was Stoichkov's free kick against Germany. There was... Hadji's goal was it a cross? Was it a goal against um, against Colombia? I mean, to say if you look, if you watch it back, he does have a little look to see where the goal is. You know, like I said, they had these iconic um, iconic moments in Baggio. You know, he, he literally dragged dragged Italy to the final, and then even like to the Brazilians with Romario. I mean, Romario was on a on a whole another whole another planet that um, that tournament. You know, him and him and the Beto. You know, chalk and cheese off the pitch. Um, you know, one one went to church with his with his wife and kids at the weekend, and the other was you know in nightclubs till like five in the morning. But put them together, and you know, you look at the great Brazilian sides that failed in World Cups. You know, one thing one thing they were all missing was you know a Ronaldo, uh, a Ronaldo, Romario, or Bebeto. Uh, I just say Ronaldo. You've been watching his documentary. Um, <laughs> It's it's you know they're all missing that that world class striker um, that, that that side you know that side had too. 
like a, a Theo Walcott, you know, he was just there to get experience and stuff. You know, they said if, if he if we need him, he'll play. You know, he's not just he's not just there to you know for, for the rise. If we need him, he'll play. And just a shame that he couldn't. You know, he couldn't have got a few minutes. Yeah, it's a shame, but his time obviously came. And um, you know, I think the most interesting group in terms of um, how tight it was was without doubt Group E, because that was um, the one with Italy, um, Ireland, Norway, and. Uh, um, Mexico and Ireland also got that wonderful win with Ray Houghton's uh, goal against uh, Italy, you know, getting them that famous victory. They then had the opposite extreme losing to Mexico 2 1, where um, John Aldridge and Jack Charlton went absolutely nuts at the FIFA official, <laughs> which rightly, cost... rightly so. Rightly so, yep. Um, but John Aldridge's co- um, consolation that game actually proved vital, and then there was a dull nil nil. But, um, you know, Dino Baggio saves Italy's bushes, and a big game, you know. Where Saki take um, after Paluka gets sent off, takes off Roberto Baggio in a game they had to win, but it was a gamble that worked. And then the, the lot of them had four points, and it was the th- finest of margins that Mexico had cut um, one extra goal, Norway had one less, so they went out. And then I- Ireland literally just went down. In fact, Ireland beat them, and that got them second place. And slightly harder draws it. <laughs> yeah, it's odd that. I know you say what. Um... But for me, the highlight of that group was Ray Houghton's goal. Um, and it's funny that you know, you get, because of that, you get to say, imagine, remember that great goal that Ray Houghton scored? And you go, well, what one? Because obviously, I did it Euro 88 as well. Um, just it's annoying I did it for Ireland and not Scotland, but hey ho. Well, yeah, like you say with Italy, you know, they were, it wasn't looking good for them. You know, they lost the first game, like I said, down to 10 men. You know, Saki said we needed someone, we needed players that could run, you know, for run and run. and he couldn't miss Baggio, so they brought Signori on. And, uh, you know, they, they managed to win that game. And, you know, at one point it was looking like, well, Italy are going to go out here. In the group stages, that you know, if you said to any Italian fans at the time, they're going to make the final, you know, they'd have laughed at you. Um, but, yeah, like I said, Ireland and Mexico, the playing in that heat and Jack Charlton had, 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 you know, various spats with FIFA about getting water onto the players. And, um, and then, obviously, when, um, when Aldridge couldn't get on, um, and, Right, right next to the uh, the pitch side microphones, you know, picked everything up. Um, again, you, you'll you'll see that um, you'll see that on Twitter. I'd say at least once a week, at least once a week, you'll see that um, posted by someone. Yeah, John Aldridge's reaction, priceless. I mentioned Baggio, he came alive in the knockout rounds because um, Italy were ninety seconds away from going it, and they were down to ten men in this game. Should have been down to. Nine because Maldini takes down, I think, Giacchini in the game against Nigeria, who were obviously excellent at this point. Um, and then Baggio steps up and delivers the equalizer and then delivers the penalty in extra time. And it's a shame for Nigeria, but yeah, Baggio, this this was looking like his tournament because he, yeah. let's be honest, he pretty much single handedly took Italy to that final. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, like you're saying, you know, the, the big players on the biggest stage, you know, delivering. Um, well, it's, you know, when when I when I first started researching the book and I'd, I'd put out on social media, anyone got any sort of insights or memories, and everyone would be like, "Bajo's penalty miss and blah blah." And it's like, well, without without Bajo, there wouldn't have been a you know a penalty for him to take in the final. You know, they were they were on the verge of going out several points in that tournament. Um, like I said, they came alive in the knockouts. Um, I said the Nigeria game, they were, you know, again, they were going out, they were 90 seconds away from going out. You know, Zola had been sent off on his birthday. Um, 
And yeah, they're on the verge of going out, you know, and it's just that thing of special players doing special things, you know, on the, on the biggest stage. You know, I think, like you've touched on, those sort of things really do sort of make a tournament, I think. And it was a good Nigeria team as well. I, mm. like, it was, like, I mean, that was the Nigeria, like, um, Daniel Makachi, JJ Kocha, Amaniki was getting goals as well. It was a fantastic team. and They did give as good as they got against Italy, and it was just the difference with Baggio that got them through. Yeah, it was a shame to see Nigeria go out because I think they sort of captured the imaginations of a lot of people, um, you know, with their, with their style of play, you know, their fast attacking football. Um, like I said, some some great players there. Like I said, Okocha, um, Sonny Elise, obviously Amakachi, um, like Peter Ruffay in goal, obviously Yakini, you know, the, some of these had already, had already made their way over to, to Europe. They were playing um, nice for Belgium, like Finidi George, who was at Ajax. Um, you know, they this team hadn't, hadn't sort of quite sort of peaked. They were still quite a young side. They hadn't sort of peaked yet. They did well at the Olympics in '96 in, in the African Nations. Um, and I think following on from Cameroon at Italia 90, it was really, really good to see another strong side coming from coming from Africa. Um, and I think it it sort of helped set a platform for African football going into the sort of certainly into the next millennium, like Senegal and Ghana, and you know. There was that thing of, I think it was Pele said, "Oh, an African team will, will win the World Cup," and maybe, maybe, maybe not quite got as far as uh, they'd like they'd like to have. But um, you know, I think um, you know, they're still producing world class players. I think at one point that will end, although it's difficult at the moment because there's a lot of strong European, South American sides. But it just needs one side to produce that amount of good players in one team and. Never know. One of them uh, might might happen. But we'll African just... qualifying is brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. compared to some of the stuff that, like, obviously, we we've got UEFA and it's quite difficult to, for like, to, teams like Scotland to get through, and we've not done it in a while. But African, the African one is horrible. You need to win your group, and then you go in like there's ten groups, and then you need to play each other. And like that's why we don't have one like Egypt and Nigeria and all that. The, the current one because like you'll get to it in that last ten. It's like the South American qualifying as well. It's just one big league table, isn't good, it? Yeah. You know, the, the amount of, of travelling that's involved and having to when you go to like um, you know, you've got to play at altitude and all you know, and all stuff like this. It's uh when when you look at, you know, the away for qualifying, you think maybe you think you're having, you know, a little bit of a raw deal with the seeding and stuff, but I think um, you know, look at how some of the other um confederations <laughs> do with it, yeah. Yeah, apparently they suggested changing it because they're going to increase the number. Is it next World Cup? I think. Yeah, forty-eight. Yeah. And, and they, they suggested to uh, Conmebol, I think, uh, the South American one. They suggested them changing it, and they're like, "No, we like it. We're happy with the eighteen games that you play." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just one massive league table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you think they get sick of it because um, they play each other in the Copa America. So it's not exactly um, a qualifying campaign for Copa America, but hey, that's. That's what they're used to. That's what they like. And I think they're playing, <laughs> you're playing stronger teams. I think, aren't you? In qualifying, you know, you're playing mm. a lot more stronger teams. You know, whereas some of the you know the top two seeds in in UEFA qualifiers, you're probably looking at you know, oh well, us two will go through. There might be one tricky game. Whereas in in South America, you know, you've got some real good sides in there, and you know, coupled with all the travel, and like I said, playing you know, you go to like Ecuador and stuff, and you're playing at altitude and you know, it's all these little factors that, that you know, that European countries don't have to sort of face. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the qualifying this time round, there was about six teams behind Brazil and Argentina for those last two places. Yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. really close, even towards the end. Yeah, exactly. It was really close. And um, the beaten finalists of the Italian 90 final, um, they both went out to Eastern European opposition. Um, Arsenal lost to Romania without Maradona, of course, in the last 16 against Romania. Probably the game of the tournament, if not definitely the game of the tournament. And then, without uh, doubt, the shock of the... Without the sh- without doubt the shock of the tournament, Bulgaria beating Germany two one, and that it was just extraordinary. Think because Bulgaria went into this World Cup, never winning a game, although yet they still somehow managed to reach the knockout stages in eight six, despite not winning the game. But in this tournament, they got the first win. Then all of a sudden they got a couple more. They beat Argentina along the way, and then to but to beat Germany after going behind was just incredible. I mean, like yeah. you look at you look at that team, you know. Boris Mihailov in goal, obviously with his with his wig. Um Bald in eighty six and what yeah, like, <laughs> like tripping even off. Um you know, he, he looked like he looked like one of the club packs out the burbs, you know, with his with his hair and his, and his beard and stuff. Um Stoichkov, I mean, you know, he he'd have walked into any team, you know, in that tournament. Um and it's just that thing of, you know, having that star quality in the likes of Stoichkov and then you know, players around him having, you know, the games of their lives all at the same time. You know, it sort of all, all snowballed, really. You know, Balakoff, Lechkoff, you know, he was, he, I think he was 27 in that tournament. You know, he, he looks like he could he could pass for 47, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, Bulgaria and Romania, you know, they've got some class players and they all they all perform to the, you know, to the top of their, you know, top of their ability. So, Chris, if you don't think Romanian um, Argentina was the best game, what do you think was? The one I missed. Brazil and Holland. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling me that story. <laughs> so, I, like, th- 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 I mean, that, that's, I was high school at this point, um, and I was on a school trip for a week during the World Cup in the Netherlands. So, I actually watched their game against Ireland in a bar in the Netherlands at, like, 13 years old. It was a bar in the hotel before I they concerned. So, it was, just, it was just me and a bunch of other, like, Dutch people. I watched this game. They were delighted, obviously, they went there, right? And then, on the game in the quarter-final between Brazil, I was on my way back from the Netherlands. So, I missed it. And then, I obviously got him. My dad told me what a brilliant game it was. So, <laughs> missed the best game. <laughs> I think that was a game that took a while to come to life. It was the it same did. half. Really. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think you're probably right in that Romania and Argentina was a better game for 90 minutes. I think the the two teams just kind of cancelled each other out for like an hour or so. <laughs> and then it kind of just erupted into this amazing finale. Yeah. The, the famous baby rocking celebration by um, Bebeto. Um, yeah, but don't all talk about that, because what age is that kid now? <laughs> that yeah, he's playing, he's playing list, now. Yeah. He's, he's playing now, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I found that out. Yeah, he's he's just playing in the Brazilian league now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that what he is now? I know he was at Sporting Lisbon at one point. But, um, I doing all right for himself. Um, <laughs> Branco's Branco's free kick. You know, yeah. he got a bit of he got a bit of um, bad press. You know, he shouldn't be in the squad. He's overweight and you know stuff like that. But. Um, Again, he was all, he was all in the team man. because Leonardo wiped out Tab Ramos, which um, yeah. you know, likes a Chris Waddle and that were thinking yeah. that's a harsh decision. Uh, yeah, watch it again. <laughs> yeah, watch it again. Nearly killed him. <laughs> See, not, did not fracture. Got a fractured skull. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just sort of like bone, just just yeah. above his ear. But yeah, fractured his skull. Yeah, I don't think he played. He didn't play for like six months after because he was playing in Spain at the time. Yeah, uh, at Real Betis, and he he, he he was out for like six months. Yeah. yeah. 
Aye, well, that was some free kick by Branco, as you say. As you say, you only get back in the team because of that, but um, he certainly made his presence felt. He could certainly have a free kick. You know, you just, you know, we talk about the way Christian Ronaldo hits a football, but you know, Branco was doing that even before then. You know, just the swear he put in it and the power. Yeah, back, back then, you know, they're talking about all the knuckle balls and the way that they they kick the ball and where the valves positioned, and you know, you like to go back to those days where they just ran up and smacked it, you know, and. Let, let the you know let the uh, let gravity do its do its business like you know it's um but even in that game like where Romario's goal crossed from the left and he the ball bounced and he just he hit it is literally inches off the floor and it just blew into the bottom corner um I think it was Ed the Hoying goal he, you know he didn't even he just like looked couldn't even you know just rooted um again there's so many good goals from that tournament um. Like I said thanks to YouTube, you know, you can you can go and go and watch, you know, so many good goals. The goals that you forgot about, you know, that you'll 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 go back and think, Oh yeah, dude, I didn't even, didn't even remember that goal, but yeah, some some great finishes. Yeah, and great goal nets as you mentioned in the book. Um although one of them um collapsed in the Mexico versus Bulgaria game. Was, like, was yeah. it Bernal that fell into the net and they had yeah, to, they spent about ten been, minutes repairing the goals? <laughs> the same guy who made Diana Ross's goal. Made that one. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The other surprise package in some ways was um, Sweden, because although they did well in Euro 92, they also didn't do well in the previous World Cup in Italian 90, where they were pointless. But, you know, for them to get the CFL was excellent, although I think they got a wee bit of rubber degree. In fact, they get Saudi Arabia, who done well in the tournament um, in the next round, and then Romania rather than Argentina. But, that, but who's to say Sweden wouldn't have put um, Argentina as well, um, the way that they were playing? But, you know, that was another game that just burst into life, you know. Late on because it was it was a bit of a stalemate and then Roland scored from a free kick and then Radichoy equalised and they went extra time and then they both scored and it was a sending off and you know Thomas Ravella with that save and the, that celebration was um was fantastic you know he just rolled his arm around and ran in a circle <laughs> <laughs> yeah we I mean, had like I said Brolin Darlene uh, obviously young Henrik Larson Kenneth Anderson and you know Jonas Turn Stefan Schwartz you know these are all these were all household names in the 90s football. Um, you know, Broline was probably the one that was pinpointed to be, you know, the the world star, if you like. And, you know, I don't think he, he lived up to the hype, but, you know, they were just a great team, well managed by Tommy Svensson. Um, and, yeah, like I said, it's just that thing of a team performing, all the players performing at the, you know, at the peak of their ability all at the same time. And they almost got a van out of speed, Stephen, when they got to Brazil. Just mm-hmm. kind of what, what did that was one thing about this tournament was the heat. Um, yeah. The, oh yeah, we're, we're getting a guitar. So well, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But this one, there was games in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, obviously there was a heat wave across the US. You know, without thinking of playing games in Florida and in, in, in LA and stuff. You know, um, but yeah, like I said, this World Cup um, heat's going to be going to be huge. I mean. Mm-hmm. In in '94, they played the kickoff times were geared towards European markets. The European kickoff times, you know, they wanted to maximise where they thought you know most people would be watching it. Um, but yeah, like to Qatar, you know, they they've moved it to the winter, so it won't be as warm. And then there's something on on Sky Sports News before about how teams have had to move their train times because it's still like ridiculously hot. So yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, 
someone asked me the other day, oh, what do you think the what do you think the World Cup's going to be like? And I was like, I honestly don't know. I don't think anyone knows. You, you just don't know what it's going to be like. You know, there's so many there's so many factors that we haven't seen before in the World Cup. Whether it's you know it happening halfway through a season, uh, the country's being held in the off off field uh, issues that the country's got. The fact that it's in such a small country, you know, I think it's it's like you could drive around all the stadiums in sort of like forty five minute radius or something. Um, and and yeah, just you just don't know, you just don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to go. Um, some people are saying it could be good, the football could be good because players are hitting their peak of the season; they're not going to be you know knackered at the end of the season. But yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting um, to say the least. You know what? You just don't know how it's going to go. It could be. Could be a World Cup to forget. It could be, you know, one to remember. You still there, guys? Yeah. <laughs> My screen is just frozen. Edit that better. It's not good, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, when Jesse hands with Qatar, I'll come back to Qatar in a moment. Um, so yeah, a good tournament, USA ninety four. But one thing that wasn't good about USA ninety four was the final. Um, let's it, it was slightly better than Italian ninety, but that's not exactly um, a high standard to match yourself against. Um, we got history with the first ever penalty shot in the World Cup final, um, and if there was one person who did not deserve to miss that final kick, it was Baggio, but. Under the pressure, it just shows that even the best can do that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of these things that, like, a, a penalty shootout, they always say it's a lottery. It's not really a lottery, because right? nine times out of ten, if you hit the target, the ball's going in the net. So, you hit the target, but you didn't do it. So, he plays it over the bar. That was the end of the, at least, chances of the World Cup. Um, and like you say, I was like, he, I, they wouldn't have been there had it not been for Roberto Baggio. So for it to be him that missed the penalty and end up was heartbreaking, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, when, when you think like Baggio and Baresi, you know, both missed penalties in, in the shootout, you think what they actually went through. Mm-hmm. It was like Baresi had done his meniscus in his knee in the, in the Norway game, and he'd done it earlier in his career, and he was out for like three months. He had like three weeks to between that game and the final, and you know for him to come back, you know, be as good as he he always is, and then to you know his penalty miss sort of gets forgotten in the and obviously Masaro missed as well. You know their, their penalties mm-hmm. sort of get forgotten um, with with what happened with Baggio. Um, but yeah, I think as we touched on the heat and the traveling that was involved, you know, I think by the end of it. it the players were just, they had nothing left to give. You know, like I said, Baggio, it, it, he, he had an injury. He was touching over, he was going to play. Baresi had just come back. And I think as well, there was such pressure on Brazil. They hadn't won in 24 years. There was the thing of like, Ayrton Senna had died. Um, the pressure on, on their shoulders to, you know, deliver a World Cup for not just, you know, Football fans in Brazil, but for the whole of Brazil, you know they were they were more than the loss of Senna. So I'd have liked to have seen maybe you know another three or four days rest and then have a final. I think we maybe would have seen a different game, you know, if it had been kicked off at a different time as well. Um, but I spoke to Alan Rothenberg and he, he was saying you know, we had thirty days. We had to have, have that World Cup done and dusted in thirty days. You know, players had their domestic leagues to go back to. 
you know, there was no wiggle room for anything like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame, really, that, you know, the, the final didn't live up to um, the expectations. Although I think, you know, it's still an iconic final, um, just obviously for, for the Baggio penalty miss. I thought the game was better. As far as, <laughs> I mean, I was like 4 0 at Sweden. Um, last for 30 odd minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about it because me, Celtic fan, Henry Larson's a legend. I don't remember him in this World Cup. And that yeah. came back to haunt me three years later when he signed for Celtic. And my dad yeah. basically said, There's no way we're signing Henry Larson. There's no way Celtic signing somebody that good for £650,000. Yeah, that's he's not the old story. I think he was about 23 in, in, in that tournament. I don't think he'd, he hadn't fully established himself you know he was he was getting the odd start when he's coming on on the uh, off the bench and stuff but obviously you could see um you could see his qualities there i mean but that that third fourth playoff like bulgaria could have gone 3000 miles that way to go home and he had to go 3000 miles that way to to play a third and fourth place game you know against sweden i think i think bulgaria sort of uh <clears throat> thrown the towel in by them but yeah like you know said of Larson, he really sort of Showing what what was to come. Yeah, I mean there, there was that game earlier in the tournament where he came off the bench. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know why I read the book. Yeah, he um, like I said, I think he was. I'm sure he was only like 23. Um, obviously he was it. He was at final then. Um, but yeah, he, he, I think the next sort of four or five years, he really sort of came into his own. Then you know, and he obviously fully established himself. Um, but yeah, so that that Sweden side had some. You know, he's getting kept outside by like Ken Anderson was was scoring goals. Obviously, Martin Darlene, he was he was playing in uh, Bundesliga at the time. He obviously got a move to um, the Premier League uh, not long after. Um, but yeah, that, that Sweden side, you know, they had some they had some great players, and you know, as we spoke about before, there's no home nations, and like I said people sort of some people walk past that World Cup. Oh, we weren't involved, not interested. But you know, if you go to Sweden. And, and talk to Swedish football fans and say, oh, let's talk about your favourite World Cup. But uh, I reckon most of them say USA 94. Yeah. Yeah, because it's um, the most recent and um, different timing, obviously. It's it's amazing that you mentioned, uh, Matt, that um, Bulgaria had to travel 3,000 um, miles to the West to play third place playoff because Sweden were obviously based in LA, having been in the semi final. You've got to think with hindsight, maybe what they should have done, rather than have that at the same stadium as the World Cup final, they could have had some middle ground, like, Dallas, um, for for example, or sh- um, Chicago or something, but you know, we only just think about this twenty eight years after the event. So, <laughs> chances of them FIFA have it. Yeah, that I, point? Think, I think the Ro- I think the, the likes of the Rose Bowl was always sort of you know that was going to be where the um, you know the, the final was going to be. Um, but yeah, I think you know, like I said hindsight. I think you know you're looking at different kickoff times, and you know I think. It's, it's looking back now, you know, you think, think of these these lessons that could be learned. You know, this was the first World Cup that was, you know, taken out of Europe, out of, you know, South America, Central America. Um, so, yeah, I think, like I said, there's, there are things you would have, you would have changed that, you know, you think would have made the tournament better maybe, but, you know, you, you don't know. It could, have, it could have took, you know, took away from the tournament. But, yeah, I think, I think they, they, certainly FIFA... Learned some lessons from uh, from USA 94 in regards to the organisation of it all. 
you've said that, that this this is this is the world cup that changed things. This is after this, it, it doesn't get shared between South America and Europe anymore because it, it set the scene for the likes of Japan and Korea and and South America, South Africa, sorry, and and now and it's always Qatar as well. Um, I, I see that as a good thing. I think it's a World Cup. It should be around the world. It should be going to the, the countries that can actually host it. We'll not talk about Russia and Qatar. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, to me, taking it in the world's good. I liked the South Africa one. I thought it was it wasn't a great tournament, but I think taking it there was a good thing. I'll look forward to going back to Africa again. Twenty twenty six is going to be the one that's shared around North America, um, and so we'll be back. At the USA as and as well as as Canada and Mexico, so I think I, I think that's a good thing. I think that was something that we got from this. And like you say, we're not. I don't think we're going to hit the same problems where teams are travelling three thousand miles between games. Yeah, they will have to travel around, but it won't be that kind of distance. Yeah, I, I think you know if this World Cup would have would have you know died on its arse, I think that it, it, FIFA may have thought twice then about taking it to. Um, not not your usual, um, you know, football hotbeds, if you like. But I think, you know, at the end of the tournament, they looked at the attendance figures. They looked at the, you know, it was, it's still now the, the highest attended World Cup. Um, they, they look at, obviously, the money, because that's FIFA. You know, they look at profit and, you know, look at the balance sheet. And they thought, you know, we could be onto something here. And then, obviously, you've got Japan and South Korea, South Africa, and uh, obviously, uh, Qatar. I do think that, they did look at USA as untapped. You know, it's a, it's somewhere they could go. They they could really grow football, and at the same time, you know, grow grow the money in the coffers. Whereas I think with Qatar this time around, it is. Yeah. I don't think it's much to do with growing growing the yeah the game there. You know, it's it is predominantly to do with the money. You know, which, which is which is a shame. You know, it, that's like when I say it's the World Cup, it changed the game. It's not necessarily. Everything is changing for the good, you know. There are some, some, some uh, bad, bad sides to it as well, you know. And I think um, the World Cup, the way it, the way it came about, going to Qatar is, is one of them. Oh, with yeah, that, I think, question. I think, I think the other thing that we got out of this World Cup was MLS, because I mean, like the North American Soccer League, I think it was called before it, it kind of died away. And yeah, I know Pele played for like the Cosmos and things like that, but. I think uh, that's like, yeah, that's no. moved on for that. MLS is growing into the one it is today. Yeah. I mean, I was mentioning Orlando earlier. Orlando's got their own MLS team. Yeah, I think like with, with the MLS as well. Now it's it's only going to get bigger. It's only going to yeah. get better and stronger. And you know, it, it's it's producing its own players now that are going on to play in top European leagues. It's not just you know a retirement home for for, for European players to go and get one last payday. Obviously, you're still getting going out there like Chiellini and. Obviously, Gareth Bale's out there. Um, you know, Zlatan was there not so long ago. But, you know, it, it's producing its own players now. It's producing coaches that are going to coach in European leagues. Um, like the fans over there now, you know, looking at like sort of Atlanta United packed houses, 50-odd thousand, you know, fans. That It's only going to expand. It's only going to get bigger. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's, it's here to stay, whereas they've had a few false dawns previously. Um, but yeah, with MLS, it is. I think it's only going to get bigger and better. Yeah, and and you you mentioned it's not just a, a retirement home these days. I mean, you are still getting some older players going over, but these are also good role models for these young American players. I mean, guys like Chiellini, winner, Gareth Bale, you know, winner, and how he, he um, controls himself um, 
he's just a phenomenal player as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you know, even before that, like Stephen Gerrard, you know, look at the way he lives his life as well. These are good role models that that, that are coming over now, you know. And um, you know, these play these players um coming through are learning for guys like Frank Lampard. Another example. Yeah, looks working. Yeah, well, he's going to develop his career. I mean, he's done okay. Aye, he's, to be fair. he's done alright there. Aye. Aye, I think it's, yeah. that that move worked out for him because he wasn't going to get any Celtic, and he's obviously went over. It was Inter Miami went to first. He's at Red Bulls now, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, Johnny Russell's had a good career out there. Yeah? That's another one. We we continually talk about whether Steve Clark's overlooking him. That's the kind of level he's playing at. Yeah, I think he he did have Russell on a couple of squads before COVID. And I think since COVID, it's just been right. Um, yeah, he's almost yeah, forgotten about him in some, because of the um. You know the quarantine stuff at the time and all this, but I yeah. think even though it's now been restricted, he's just almost forgotten about. Him, but well, I think um, I think players players previously and if they went to play over in the states, you could literally forget their international career. That's that's you saying you know you know that, that's that's part of my game finished with. But like I said like Johnny Russell getting getting named in in squads after moving out to the to the states. You know I think that's you know that that shows that people have got their eye on on that league now and they are realizing that the standard is improving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, without yeah, I've, a doubt. I've watched like the, the final. Um, was it last year? New York City won it. I only watched it because Ronnie Dyler was the manager in New York City <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but well, I, it, was, it was an entertaining game, and, and, and obviously, like, I know New York City are back from Man City. But mm-hmm. well, like the game last week where, where Bale equalised and it went to a penalty shootout. I mean, you went on. If you go on like social media, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was watching it, and everyone was, you know, mm-hmm. and you go back ten years, and that just wouldn't have wouldn't be happening, you know. So, yeah, I think, I, I think I, it's a good sign. I think, I, I do think like the, the MLS, the way it's been a success stems from this World Cup. You mentioned the attendances earlier. I just looked up the third place match. 91,500 for a third place match. Yeah. And, and, and the least American thing ever, they gave both teams bronze medals after it. It's only <laughs> World Cup. Both teams have got bronze medals. Must have felt sorry for Bulgaria. Like, yeah, like, like, the, 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 profits, the profits from the tournament went you know, they they doubled what they expected to make and, you know, that a large chunk of that went towards launching MLS. You know, they, they they had to wait two years to get it off the ground and the, the worry then was had momentum and the momentum from USA 94 gone. Um, but they brought some of the US um, national side, brought some of them players back, like so Tony Miola and Alexi Lalas and, and Tab Ramos and John Harps. They all came back to sort of, you know, g- give a... An American feel to to the league, and you know, a, a face that that people would recognise, and they managed to get some of the like yeah. your Jorge Campos and uh, Risto Stoichkov come to play over there. You know, in like I said, it's only gone from strength to strength. It's expanded, and you know, it's going to expand even even more over the next few years. I should I should imagine. Yeah, uh, there's certainly been uh, some legacy from um, USA '84 with that league, um, the way it's been created, and obviously the American national team is a much better place than it was pre-USA '94, and of course yeah. they did well in USA '94. Um, Alexi Wallace is the one that sticks it for me because I remember yeah. him playing in the World Cup, and he is still a figurehead today. I mean, I think he works for Fox Sports at the moment, yeah. but he seems yeah. to have been involved. He launched himself for the goal against before. England the year before in the US Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he got he got a move to to Serie A, you know, off the off the back of. Um, of, of the World Cup, you know, and be, before that, you know, he, he he was based in Mission Viejo, the US training camp, and you know, really sort of trying to make a living out of playing football. You know, next thing he's on the Tonight Show, he's on the front of you know of, of magazines with his you know guitar and his ginger beard, and then the next thing 
he's playing in, he's playing in Serie A, you know. So I must have yeah, he's clean shaven these days. It does, yeah, he's almost unrecognisable because that was the thing. <laughs> Alexis Wallace and Carlos Valderrama. That was yeah. the big hair people. The in the hair, World yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, they should have been banned from doing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so America's obviously in um, the World Cup in Qatar. I think a lot of people will be wanting to do well in at least one particular game. Maybe not so much you, Matt, from another point of view. Um, so for the first time in our um, lifetime, <laughs> well, because I don't think there'll be that many from who remember Wales's last qualification, but Wales are actually going to a World Cup. Um, so just... Right, forget the fact of what country it is. How how does it feel for you looking forward to this tournament and what chances do you give your team? Because well, the rise in the Welsh national team over the last decade or so I was watching this same BBC has just been remarkable. Yeah, I mean I, I go back to like watching Wales when I was when I was a kid and you know, there was used to play at the old Cardiff Arms Park and there'd be six, seven thousand fans there and be getting turned over. You know, I remember I remember watching and uh, in, in the qualifiers for USA ninety four, a game in Romania and, and Baji abs- uh, Haji absolutely tore them apart, you know, and just remember going back in they were real sort of dark days after that for, for, for Welsh football. And then like my kids now, they look at Wales as yeah, qualify for tournaments, get to the semi final, yeah, in a World Cup, got Gareth Bale, you know, we can go toe to toe with teams and you think, yeah, it's it's not always been like this, you know. Uh, um I think there's no reason why Wales, you know, can't we can't get out of the group. Uh hopefully, you know, Wales in, in USA uh out of the group. Um I think playing each other in the first game, you know, I, I, you don't want to lose your first game in any tournament. Um so I think you might see a bit of a tight a tight affair there, you know. You might see a draw, maybe a goalless draw with that game and then sort of take the chances against the run in England, but I think you know there are there are a lot of similarities between Wales and the USA. Obviously, not in you know size of population the countries have got, but I think with that um, they've got young players. Um, they've got you know some established players that play for some top sides. Um, you know that they they want to they want to go and play football. So yeah, I think I, I expect that to be a tight one the first game. Uh, just hope Wales, you know, you don't sort of freeze on on the on the big stage. Um, it's good that he's took a, a lot of the players that were at the Euros, you know, like Johnny Williams and Chris Gunter. You know, there was a lot of talk at, oh, what's he picking them for? They're not playing, but I think you know it's that thing of it's they've been there. You know, they 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 know the tournament experience now. Um, you know, and then the, the younger players, the likes of you know your Brennan Johnsons and you know people like that, they can sort of pass pass their knowledge on to. So yeah, I just hope that you know. Just give a give a good account of ourselves, really, um, and yeah, just you know, fearless. Just go and just go and have a go, and like, you know, you know, you get to knockouts. Anything can happen. You've got an enviable record as well, because I mean, obviously we're Scottish, so we don't know what it's like to get out of the group. <laughs> Wales have never failed to get out of the group. <laughs> the, the one other time he's in the World Cup, he's made the quarterfinals. Yeah, and uh, twice you've been to the Euros, you got in the group both times as well. Yeah, I mean the the Euros in twenty sixteen. It was just like well gonna win it now the way it was going it was like it was you know it, Wales, every... Wales are the last team to knock Belgium out of a tournament and not going to win it got a great <laughs> got a great record got a great record against Belgium like Kevin De Bruyne is like oh, I'm bored of playing Wales and I thought well, I bet you are because got a good record against you but 
yeah, just just want to go and give a, just give a good account of ourselves, really. You know, if don't make it through the group, then you know, so be it. But as long as we can go and give a good account of ourselves, and um, yeah, I, I think, it, like I said, if you can get through a group, you know, into knockout football, you know, anything anything can happen. But like I said before, with, with this World Cup, with with where it's being played and when it's being played. You just don't know what effect it's going to have on teams and on players. You know, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. There could be loads of upsets, mm-hmm. or you know, it could just revert to type. You just don't know. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very odd tournament, like because like all the big teams aren't going in with the greatest of form, especially for the Nations League. You're looking yeah. at like Germany and England and France and teams like that. The Netherlands and Spain are going to have a decent uh, record behind them, but those mm-hmm. are. So I mean, you would look, you would look at the the group that Wales are in and think. It's a race for second behind England. Yeah. If you're looking at it from a neutral perspective, neutral. Listen, that's neutral. But England going in with that not great form. Iran are a decent team. United States are a decent team. Wales are a decent mm. team. They could all take points off each other. You might end up in that crazy situation we talked about earlier about Italy and Ireland. Everybody finish with four points. Yeah. I mean, it, usually, you know, it, it usually happens. It's usually a team who you think is going to walk the group and they'll finish second. They'll have a, you know, have a wobble and you know, that's just that's just your, your usual World Cup, you know. So, with all the other factors thrown into this one, you know, you, you could see loads of upsets. You just don't know. Um, like I said, the form of a lot of the big teams. I mean, you, you, you're probably going to look at you know the likes of your Brazil, your France. You know that they're going to be they're going to be obviously there or thereabouts. You know that they're, they're not bookies favourites for nothing. You know, but yeah, usually you see one. You know, at least one team that overperforms in one team that underperforms, you know. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. But I think every team in that group, even Iran, you know, I think they'll be looking at it thinking, well, we can we can beat Wales, we can beat USA and we'll go and give England a game, you know. So just this we, thing with we England. underestimated Iran in seventy eight, so uh, we can that <laughs> document. Yeah. But I think uh, that's that's World Cup probably suits Iran because they go into this as I think they're the top seeded uh, Asian team. The twentieth yeah. in the world. And they're going into a similar climate to where they're used to themselves, yeah. so it's it's not that far for them. They'll be the one to watch, I think. It's just this thing of people just look at the groups and go, "Well, they're obviously rubbish, so they're going to be bottom." And it's like, "Well, no." Like, like you said, if you look into it, you think, "Well, Iran have got things in their favour of the climate, etc., and they're actually doing well in the world rankings." And you know, when you listen to like to talk sport, they're they're saying, "Well, obviously England are going to win the group." Um, you know, and, and we're going to do this and that, and you think, well, you say this, you say this every four years, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is um, except yeah. the World Cup '94, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> hey. yeah. Um, and now I'll, I'll come to you, Chris, in a minute about Poland. But before I do, I mean, I think what's making this World Cup a wee bit, um, you know, where I think it's going to be difficult for bigger players to perform is. A lot of them are coming into this carrying some form of injury. And in fact, there's a good few players already. And I've just read there just now, Sadio Mane is out for Senegal um, after surgery. So, you know, again, this comes back to the time and should the World Cup be playing this at this point? Because normally for a World Cup um, that starts in June, ends in July, there's a curtailment of the seasons a good two or three weeks beforehand. Football has only just been finishing um, in Europe's major leagues on Sunday there, and a week later, the World Cup is starting. It just doesn't um, feel right. But um, in terms of um, Poland, Chris, I've just, I just had, I'd, I'll be honest, I've taken that much interest in the World Cup 
I've not really looked at everyone's group. I've just seen that Poland are in with Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico. That's again not easy. Do you think it'll be that Poland will have a chance this time of getting through, or do you think they'll do what they normally do and lose the first two games and win a dead drop out at the end? Yeah, I said this in my blog. Poland just get knocked out in group stages. They've taken over Scotland's mantle for me. Um, I, I th- This is Lewandowski's last stand. He's not going to another World Cup beyond this. I, I, may, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't go to the next Euros either. So this is his last time. He hasn't performed on the big stage in the big tournaments. And that's probably why Poland keep getting knocked out of group things uh, as well. Playing against... Mexico, who'll be used to the climate. Saudi Arabia, who will definitely be used to the climate. And Argentina, who've got Messi. Also in his last tournament. Yeah, exactly. And I think Messi's in a much better team than Lewandowski is. For me, seeing Messi play against Lewandowski is the thing I'm selling it to my son with. (laughs) He will absolutely love that. (laughs) I I don't fancy Poland's chances. Maybe this is the one that Poland get out of because I don't fancy their chances. Because every other time it's been, oh yeah, we're going to get through these groups. Oh yeah, I should, it's going to be nice to see a team go beyond the group stages for a change. Mm-hmm. Never happens. But I, this time I have no confidence in it at all. And it's not just because of the historical side of things. I, I genuinely think it's going to be difficult. Argentina, I am, I tip to win the World Cup, I must admit. Mexico always make the last 16. It's just what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, if Scotland get, always get knocked out of the group stages... We still hold the record of the World Cup with eight, having failed to get out of the group. Mexico just make the last 16. They're, they're, they're cons- amazingly consistent at it. And then they get knocked out at that stage. Yeah, I think they've only ever won one knockout game ever. Because um, they've reached the quarterfinals twice, but bear in mind, one of them was straight from group stage into the quarterfinals when they were hosts. 86 they also got through, and that was when they won the um, knockout game when they were hosts. Um, so you've obviously said that you think Argentina will win this, Chris. Matt, who do you think is going to win it? I said, someone asked me the other day, and I said France. Um, when you look at you look at their squad, you know, the, the amount of players they've got at their disposal, but then you look at it and think, you know, can they repeat? It's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I'll go France. They need to avoid the curse. Yeah. <laughs> Which they started. <laughs> yeah. For the, so the if anybody's going to break the curse, if anybody's going to break the curse, it's the team that started it. Yeah. Yeah. For the even, last, um, like, even retaining the World Cup has only happened twice in the entire history of the tournament. Italy yeah. done it in the 30s, Brazil done it in 62. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's even very difficult for a team to reach a second consecutive final, which Brazil actually reached three in a row, 94, 98 and 2002, obviously. I think um, France could be France could be either like win it or they could be one of those that completely implode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mbappe has to perform. He did not perform at the no. Euros last year. No, no. And that was a big miss. For, and ultimately, he missed the penalty and knocked yeah. him out as well. Yeah, yeah. He needs to perform this thing. They're missing yeah. Pogba, who has delivered in tournaments. So that's a big worry for them, and Kante to a degree. Um, but I think Denmark's a team to watch from their group. I don't think Denmark will win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Denmark are quarterfinals, even semifinals. They're very, very strong sides. They had a great Euros, um, messed up with some tactics in that England game. They also walked in, walked our group. They've got Christian Eriksen back in, in good form, one of my news better players. Um, do I think they win it? No. I think the winner is going to be... Um, I actually have a funny feeling for Spain. I think Spain are looking really good just now. I think, um, you know, Pedri is, um, you know, a real class act as a player. Um, Ferran Torres is an excellent player. I think they're coming in good form just now. Um, I think it'll either be them or 
a fa- I've got a funny feeling Brazil might do something. They're due, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brazil, due, you know. In 20 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Netherlands so. are another team I think have got things going for them at the moment. They're in form, mm-hmm. but they are habitual bridesmaids at the World Cup. Yeah, they made the final three times. They lost every time. Yeah, they could. They could get to the last 16 or something and get knocked out in some stupid way. Like they did against the Czechs at the Euros. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think some, like I said, the team's struggling for form going into the tournament, but, you know, there's going to be some top sides there, some top, you know, top players, and just hope that they all perform. Like I said, Mbappe, you know, like I said, my kids, you know, they play FIFA and stuff, and oh, Mbappe, Mbappe, what do you think? You know, they. They need they these these players. They need the big the big tournament moments, you know. And yeah. I said as well, like Lewandowski will be his last World Cup, Ronaldo's last World Cup, Messi's last World Cup. You know, even the likes of Modric, you know, yeah. he's had a massive yeah. impact on on European football. Um, you know, it's going to be there's going to be a lot of a lot of players that we won't see at a World Cup again. Um, yeah. So yeah, just I just hope that you know it's a lot of these these players can sort of um, deliver. Yeah, definitely. Let's hope um, that um, we are talking about these guys um, after the tournament and we're um, recalling Qatar 2022 from the football point of view, um, more so for other things. Um, uh, before we go, Matt, um, Christmas is coming up in five weeks' time. Um, your book's obviously going to be popular, hopefully. Um, it's already been popular until now. Where, if people are looking for USA 84, the World Cup that changed the game as an ideal Christmas present, where can they get it? Uh, it's available at all your usual suspects like Waterstone, Smiths, uh, Amazon. Um, you can get it on ebook as well. If you go on Pitch Publishing's uh, website, they've got all the links on there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter um, at the underscore Mebs, and I've got a book account uh, at USA94 Book. Uh, you can get copies direct off me. I'll, I'll sign them and send them out to you. So yeah, give us a give us a shout on there if you're interested. Yeah, and um, I have mine, and thank you very much. It's, it's been a good reading. Listen, pleasure having you on, Chris. Thank you very much for coming on. We may or may not have another um, World Cup throwback as the tournament goes on, and have a wee review of the tournament, even though Scotland aren't there. But um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on, guys, and chat soon. Cheers, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers.